Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Great to be together again, and uh, but uh, this fast is the day of the Lord. Amen. John says, on the Isle of Patmos, he was incarcerated, exiled, because of the word of the Lord. He was in exile because of the word of the Lord. And he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Tell your neighbor, this is the Lord's day. Right? So you must be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Amen. The Lord's day is not Sunday. The Lord's day is any day where God is the Lord of the day. And so you can live in a spatial sphere of existence called the Lord's day consistently. Every day is the Lord's day for us. Amen. But these times of gathering are important to us because the church comes together and we express our corporeity. The fact that no one of us singularly can express the fullness of all that God is. But all of us together in our corporeity, have the potential to demonstrate the fullness of the entirety of the Godhead. So there is no distinction in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek bond nor free male nor female. But out of twain, he has made one new man. I'm quoting the scriptures. He has made one new man. And God's express purpose, watch, is to bring people together. Jew, Greek, male, female, bond free. And make one new man. So while we are members individually, the Bible says he has set some in the church, but members in particular. So there's the individuals, and you don't lose your individuality. But when you come into this environment, please, isolationism is killed. The moment you enter a corporate environment, while you're an individual, you enter a greater reality called the body which is many-membered, members in particular. But in Colossians, God says, or Paul says this about God. When he sees his body, he desires to be all in all. It's a wonderful phrase in the New Testament. He wants to be all. Everyone say all. All of God will never be expressed in any one of you. But all of God will be expressed in and through all of you. It will take all of you, all of us, to express all of who God is. So none of us will have the monopoly on divinity. Nobody has the monopoly on divinity. It will take the total body of Christ to express the totality of deity. All of the church to express all of who God is. That's why I need you. Because there are sides to God that you have that I cannot tap into. But put us together. Together we'll express the fullness of God. He wants to be all in all. That's why I love gatherings. I love the church coming together. On Wednesday will be a powerful opportunity. We households now, this household, together with about five or six other households, come together. While even in an individual context like this, all of us together express all of God. But take this on its macro level. Now regionally churches come together. Take it even uh, to, its, to its furthest uh, uh, logical conclusion. It will take all of the body of Christ 
throughout the entire earth to express the fullness of God. That's when the glory of God covers the earth. Like waters cover the, like waters cover the sea. Amen. I want you to appreciate, everyone say corporate. Say corporiety. Right? You, uh, to, to find yourself within the context of the body of Christ is an awesome thing. No one of us has got it all together. But all of us together got it all. Remember that phrase. It's a song I learned. No one of us has got it all together. But all of us together got it all. Who wants all? It will take all of us to access all of God. It says He wants to be all in all. So the all of God will only be accessed by the all of the body of Christ. So that's why I love the church. That's why things like relationships, everyone say relationships. To see my brother as he is in Christ and not to harbor thoughts of division or unforgiveness. And and those issues for me are paramount. Because we get that connectivity right, that oneness. Then God shows up in the midst of his body. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, that was just on the spur of the moment. I just felt uh, while uh, we were singing, the Lord dropping these thoughts into my heart. I want to continue now, um, and I know we have a, a luncheon plan afterwards, so I'll just speak for an hour or so. I want to sp- continue speaking on the subject of the grace of God. On Wednesday evening, we spoke for almost an hour and a half on the link between grace and glory. Okay, The link between grace and glory. And um, let me just briefly summarize. The goal of grace is glory. What's glory? Glory is the substantive nature of God demonstrating all of His essential attributes. It's put on display for men to see and to, for them to get an opinion about God. So glory is always attributable. The Greek word doxa, the Hebrew term kabod, both denote heaviness or weightiness. So if you say God has got glory, you are saying He's heavy. What is He heavy with? He's weighty, He's substantive, with a nature or um, expressions of or attributes within Him that He wants expressed. He wants to be seen. He wants to make it known to men. Glory by definition has got to be seen. It's never blocked off. By definition, it begs to be seen. So, we read John 1, 14 to 16. Well, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, word was God, word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And what did we behold? Notice the terms, we beheld His glory. Glory has to be seen. So, glory is meant to be put on display. But it says, we beheld His glory full of what? Full of grace and truth. So if you claim glory, what's embedded within glory? Come on, talk to me. Grace and truth. Grace and truth are core components of anything glorious. If God's glory is His characteristics, His nature, His awesome power, put on display for all of creation to behold and for the creation to to formulate an opinion in the mind about God, if that is true, glory by definition has got to be pregnant with grace. And then he said to you that 
Who has the potential to display the glory of God? A son. Everyone say son. Glory is only displayed in, in sonship. Please hear me. A son is the only possibility for the display of glory. Take sonship away. There's no capacity to demonstrate and to reflect who God is. So we read a verse in Proverbs which says, The glory of a son is his father. A son has got no glory unique to him. A son always reflects the glory of another. So Jesus, as a son, would come on the earth, and whose glory would he showcase for men to see? Come on. He is his father. So the glory of a son is his father. Then we went to Hebrews 1 verse 3, which says this, that he, Jesus, watch, is the brightness or the radiance of his father's glory and the exact representation of his nature. This is a critical verse for you to understand. I want to quote it again. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus the Son is the radiance or the brightness showing forth of his Father's glory and it says he's the not just the representation he's the exact representation of his Father's Nature. Everyone say nature. Right? So he would say to Thomas, when Thomas said, show us the way to the Father, what did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What am I? I'm the radiance of my Father's glory. What is glory? His essential attributes and nature put on display for men to, to see. He said, I am everything of glorious. If you've seen me, you've seen my, my Father. Now, what does John 1 tell us? If Jesus says, and the scripture says, he's the fullness of the Father's glory. John says, of his fullness, what have we received? Come on. Grace upon grace. So any idea to display glory must have at the bedrock of it what? Grace. Hebrews 1.3. I'm going to quote it again. It's such a powerful verse. I just like it. Listen carefully. He, Jesus, is the radiance of his, his Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature. Everyone say nature. Nature, the Greek word there, come on, who remembers it? Is hupostasis. Hupo, anything hupo in the Greek means under. It's like the English prefix sub, subterrain, submerged, uh, submarine. Hupo means something under. Stasis is essential nature. Right? So it's anything underlying, right? That underlies or undergirds, supports, holds up whatever is visibly apparent outwardly. So if you look to Jesus, he's got something in him called hypostasis, nature. It's underlying, and what that nature gives off is. Something apparent. What does the word apparent mean? Can be. Something apparent. We get the word appear from apparent. So if anything is apparent, means it's not hidden. It's actually quite apparent. Not so? So, what is apparent? Glory. What is the substructure that supports glory? Grace. The grace of God in you is designed to be the essential nature akin to everything God is. Which when it's in you, is the very basis upon which you have a right 
to represent him accurately by showing forth his glory in the earth. Tell your neighbor, represent. And it's not just represent, it's represent. It's present him again. It's not just accurately. You, have an, you and I have the opportunity. He came once as a man. Listen, he came once as a man. Not so? 33 years, he lived on the earth. He said to men, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. But there's coming, I'm paraphrasing, there's coming a whole bunch of us after I die. I will raise up many sons in the same order as I was. The Bible says in Hebrews, it behoved Christ to bring many sons unto glory. My sons will populate the earth. I'm just paraphrasing Jesus' mind here. He's saying, my sons will populate the entire earth. My grace, of which they will receive from my person, I will empty myself consistently in them. Fill them with grace, my essential nature, my hypostasis. The composition of everything spirit will be their portion. And in their time in their world, as I was the exact reflection of my Father's glory, so too will they be. But there will be so many of them, they will not just accurately represent my father in nature, they will represent him again. Tell your neighbor you are a presentation. Tell them like this, you are the re-presentation. <laughs> so I know we use the word represent as in the, 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 the sender must represent the one that sent you. I know in that context, but also think of it like this. That you have the opportunity now to re-present him or to present him another time. Okay, another time. All by the power of the, the grace of God. Right. Okay, I think enough rehearsing. <laughs> I can't really get to today's message. But we discussed those issues on Wednesday. Okay. Now, what I want to focus upon just for today are the primary effects of grace. Because grace is variegated, it's multifaceted. The Bible talks about the many-sided grace of God. Defects, therefore, will be multiple, depending on the side of grace that you, you, you are accessing. Right? But we want to just cut it down to its bare essentials. But before we proceed, I just want to encourage you to grow in grace and to continue in the grace into which you were introduced. I said to you, you can put this whole slide up, Luke, in the first two sessions that everything in reference to your salvation in God is by grace. You were called by grace. Not so? Paul says, God who called me by his grace. You were saved by, by grace. You believed by grace, Scripture says in Acts 18. You repented by grace. The fact that you repented was simply the kindness of God. Romans 2, 4 says, leads men to repent. You experience the forgiveness of your sins by the act of God's grace imparted to you. You were redeemed, bought back with the price, put back into a former estate as God's son, an estate from which you fell. You were redeemed, called back. You were justified by grace, standing before God as cleared from all sin and culpability or guilt no condemnation. You stood in God's court of law, and he says, you are justified, no more sin, you are my son. 
the ongoing process of you being cleaned up as now you are saved. Yeah, you are saved. Now you start your walk in Christ and you will be progressively cleaned up. Tell you never cleaned up. That's a powerful session. We'll get to it later. I'll show you how grace is meant to sanctify us. The whole process of sanctification is by grace. And then on, on Wednesday, we spoke about this aspect. Our glorification is by grace alone. Everything, the entire economy of God's dealings with men is by the grace of God. Amen? You entered. I want to encourage you now to start or to continue in it. Amen? So, tell you never continue. Now, grace can be seen. It's actually, when I say grace can be seen, it's actually glory that is obvious, but grace is the substruct of glory. Right? Now, because of the persecution of Christians in the early church, the body of Christ was spread geographically over a large number of territories in an attempt to escape persecution. Some believers ran down to a city called Antioch. There they preached Christ. And the Bible says many believed to such great effect that a major formidable church was established in the city of Antioch. The original 12 that walked with Christ at this point did not leave Jerusalem. So the original 12 that walked with Christ for three and a half years, while excluding Matthias who took Judas' place, they remained at what was like the epicenter, Jerusalem. Something was happening down south, I think, in, in Antioch. Persecution spread the Christians. Those that ran down towards Antioch for refuge preached. Something major started happening at Antioch. If you know your Acts, the book of Acts, church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch would become then two major centers of operation for God's dealings in the entire then known world. Something powerful is starting at Antioch. The disciples did not want to leave. The original apostles did not want to leave Jerusalem. So who do they send? They send Barnabas down as an emissary, as an envoy as an ambassador, to represent them, to see and check these reports that are coming to them at Jerusalem. When he arrived there, Acts eleven twenty three, when he arrived, Barnabas, he witnessed what? He witnessed the, the grace of God, and he rejoiced, and he began to encourage them with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. What does Barnabas' name mean? Son of encouragement, what is he doing? Fulfilling the meaning of his destiny. He comes as an Barnabas. You know, every church needs a Barnabas. Every church needs those that in the group, but they're like infectious in their encouragement. Tell your neighbor, be a Barnabas. Right? Be a Barnabas. But you see, Barnabas came and he did not, he saw, I love the phrasing of this. He witnessed the grace of God. He saw grace at work in its capacity to transform lives. I want to encourage you, grace must animate. Grace must enliven. Grace must alter. Grace must change. Grace must transform. When it says he saw grace, what did he really see? He saw lives transformed. I want to submit to all of us. You know, when I think about this, Yes, this is in reference to salvation. 
He saw people who were once heathens now starting to serve Jesus, accept Him as Lord and Savior. Their lives transformed. But the principle of this is grace changes you. Grace changes your state. Not only rescuing you from the domain of darkness and making you God's son. Yes, once in the kingdom and you're growing in your sonship, the power of grace is always in its capacity to visibly transform and alter drastically your lifestyle. Tell your neighbor, grace changes you. Listen to me with your spirit, not with your mind of your soul now. I confer upon you the grace that is able to transform your lifestyle radically before God. I declare over you this morning, if you are struggling with certain things, certain dispositions, certain proclivities, certain inclinations, certain habitual sins, if you access grace, you'll be amazed at how the thing can change you. People that knew you in one era of your life will come now and say, we have seen grace. How will they see it? They will see it by the drastic transformation of your being. Do not behold what you presently see of yourself in your life and take that as the status quo. I submit to you today, brethren, grace is present to transform you. Also, don't resign yourself to a state or a perception of another, of somebody else, as the final and be-all of all that that person will ever amount to. Because God does not need your permission to change another. If you are stuck with the person's view historically and you're judging them in terms of their historical failure, God will never consult with you first to get your permission to change that person. He will change the person if that person's compliant with his word. He doesn't knock at your door and says, Look, are you fine if I start to change Lyndon? He will just change. So in Lyndon's change, Luke must adjust his perception to accommodate the work of grace performed in his life. Otherwise, you will be stuck in how you see people. And I want to, de- I want to, I want to stand on this promise today. This is going to be a very prophetic session this morning. Receive the word. Tell your neighbor, receive the word. I submit to you, grace is about to alter your behavior. So drastically, some of you will be amazed at the transformation in yourself and in others. You would say, but one week you were like this. Wow, what happened now? And your response would be, nothing more, nothing less than grace. Right? Grace, the power of grace to transform. Ask your neighbor, do you witness the grace on me? Tell them, do you see the grace? I like this. This word see here, see your witness. He saw something. You know, when people come to our lives uh, to behold us, to inspect us, what they must not behold is um, natural standards by which men impress others. What they must see is, you know, the, the conclusion that men have of you. is that, ooh, they drive nice cars. Ooh, what a house. All those things are temporal and of no consequence to the value that you represent. I want to encourage you. Your greatest legacy is going to be, they came and saw grace at work. Tell your neighbor, our house is a house of grace. If you're married, tell your, ma- your partner, our marriage is a marriage of grace. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you have a business, it must be a business of grace. Carry on. Now, he saw this, and I think they spent, I can't, sure, can't remember now the time span, but Paul would later go and fetch Barnabas 
I think for one and a half years, more or less, they stayed at Antioch, consistently establishing the believers, right? Then it says later in Acts 13.43, Now, when the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to do what? To continue where? In the, in the grace of God. Grace is an estate or an economy that you enter into. Once you've entered it, don't leave it. Abide in it. The word continue literally means, the Greek is epimeno. It means to remain in addition, to abide into, to continue in any state or course, to be constant and to persevere in. To be constant and to persevere in. So Paul and Barnabas would say to the church, continue in the grace. Um, I will discuss at a later session the ease with which one can start in grace but end in the flesh. I will discuss with you the, 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 the natural human tendency to depart from this state. And you will see it manifest in the most innocuous of ways, in the most insidious of ways, without you even being aware of it. You will you'll simply wake up on one day and the, reali- the, re- the realization will grip you, hey, it's all about me now, it's not about grace. It's all about me and my effort. Right? I want to encourage you, do not leave this economy called the grace of God. Abide in it. And let me just say this, brethren, you will know when now it's all about your efforts. You see, for grace, you'll operate by inspiration. But when you attempt to do things on your own steam, it's your perspiration. You will always have this drudgery, if you would, uh, friction. No oil oiling and, and no lubricating oil oiling the machine. Things are moving. Usually that's an indication it's all about me striving to achieve a thing. I've left the ability that God gives by His grace. Now it's all about my efforts. Right? Then you know I need to back up a bit, do some introspection. So tell your neighbor, continue in this grace. Continue in the grace that God gives. Amen. Now, we had uh, Mark read this, the text, and I will look at the context in a later segment um, um, that we'll do in the series. But for now, he said, but, Second Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This word grow, you want to say grow, is the Greek term oxano. We get the English term auxins which are, I think, a growth There's a growth hormone in plants that gives rise to the bringing forth of growth and natural life. Liam, is, Liam loves, my son, loves sunflowers. Just loves sunflowers. He's in the habit of every time he comes home for a vacation to plant sunflowers in our yard. Right now there are three, three growing. Right? And um, we had to track it photos every week and send it to him he wanted to track the blooming process all he did was he took a seed he buys them seeds and he plants them uh, the one is the one i'm not lying the one is like so high in the garden and the, the others at lesser states of height because they were all planted in different environments and the environment in which it was planted determined the height it reached it's important as to where you are planted 
even though the potential is all the same. An environment where you are planted is, has got the capacity to, for you to reach a certain level in God. Where you are planted is important, despite the inherent potential. The, the thing about planting seeds is he just kept SMSing us, and he, I think he put Ray in charge of watering them every day. So every day she would come to me and transfer the responsibility. Dad, you water Liam's plants today. <laughs> so every day I had to go with a bucket, and she did it at times. But she's been very responsible in that respect. And, you know, auctions or this issue of growth within a plant, it just happens. You know, we woke up one day, it's like, where did these plants come from? The thing just happens. So, listen carefully. The word literally means to exceed, to increase, and to grow. I'm talking about increasing in grace. I'm talking about exceeding in grace. Growing in grace. But, Spiros Zodiatis, a Greek scholar, offers some brilliant insight as to what this word further means. He said, for someone or something to grow, oxano in the Greek, it must be acted upon by an outside power, or, he said, it must have the element of life within itself. So when Peter said, grow in grace, he said, oxano in grace. He, has a, he knows the Greek mind. He's literally saying, I want to stress this latter part. Yes, I think the inception of grace, the power of God came upon you, acted externally, called you into the kingdom. The Holy Spirit came into your spirit, witnessed with your spirit that you are a son of God. You are saved. Now that you are in, listen carefully. Implanted in your spirit was the DNA of God, the seed or the sperm of God himself through his word was lodged in your system like a seed. Listen carefully. I want to submit to all of us, inherent in that, in that is the life of God which will by nature grow, which will by its inherent character seek to come to an exceeding measure. Right? You have the deposit of Christ in you which begs to exceed, which begs to grow, which begs to to, to, to come to maximum fullness. All of you have that. Tell your neighbor you have growing grace inside of you. You have growing grace. What am I suggesting to us? Listen carefully. There's very little you need to do at this level for the thing to grow. For the thing in you is designed to grow. It's got the principle of life inherent within it. You know, I think Paul used this word, if I'm not mistaken. He, he preached for 18 months at Corinth. He left. He was there for one and a half years, 18 months. He left. There afterwards, Apollos came and strengthened the Corinthian church. Remember the story? Apollos, Paul? Paul Apollos came after Paul. Paul makes a statement like this. I planted Apollos, but God gave the oxano. But God caused the? What he was saying is there was deposits in the Corinthian context which by the principle of life inherent within itself automatically started to, to want to grow up. I want to submit, I'm sensing something prophetically here for us this morning. Brethren, please pay attention. This is a very critical point that you, you must get. 
The grace of God in you is designed to grow. It's beckoning to burst forth. It's begging to come to fullness. It's a principle of growth or life within itself that is burgeoning, bursting the seams to break forth in each of you. I don't think we started the series by coincidence. I think God wants, you know what Peter says, may grace be yours in the fullest measure. Tell you that there are measures to grace. But there's a, there's a principle of life in you where the grace of God is burgeoning, beckoning, bursting forth, crying out to come to maximum fullness, to multiplied grace in you. I submit to you, you're going to know this dimension. I prophesy over you, you will know this dimension in Christ. It will not be theoretical, it's going to be very practical. You're going to start to walk into the power of growth in the grace of God. Right? Now, obviously, you must take care of the deposit you've received. Not so. It's like a seed put in different types of soil. Make certain that I'll talk later about uh, the whole issue of stewarding grace. When you steward, what is a steward, by the way? A steward takes care of the property or assets belonging to another, but was given to his care to look after and nurture in the absence of the owner. Paul used the term when he says, the stewardship of God's grace was given to me. Tell your neighbor, steward the grace of God in you. So the scriptures speak about receiving grace in vain or frustrating the grace of God. You can do that. We'll talk about that later. But I want to submit to us today. You have to now start to take care of what you have received. Amen? Take care of what you have received. Hallelujah. Now, let's go on. 1 Peter, two verse, 1 Peter 1 verse 2 says, my grace and peace be yours. I like this. In the fullest measure. Who wants this level? <laughs> Here's my cry, Lord. I want not just a measure. I want grace in the, the fullest measure. The Greek term fullest measure, in some of your Bibles, it's, it's translated multiplied. It simply means to make full, hence to multiply and increase. My, my whole encouragement for you this morning is that you're not meant to stagnate in grace. You're meant to grow in it. Tell your neighbor, Orgzano. Right? Orgzano. Right? Come to the, to the fullest measure. How? You have to come back for the next sessions. <laughs> there are keys in God's word. Ten at least that I know of. Which if I do that, I know I'm positioning myself for grace fullness. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, Jesus grew in grace. Just, just that one Luke. It says in Luke 2.40, the child grew, continued to grow and become what? Become strong. So was he growing physically? Yes. And increasing in his mental capacity for wisdom. So there was physical growth and there was mental development. Mind of God in the mind of the child, Jesus. Wisdom of God. But it also says, and what? And the grace of God was where? Grace of God was upon him. You know, there's a text in the book of Acts which says of the early apostles, and great grace was upon them all. I like that. And great grace was upon them all. I confer grace upon you. I will teach you about the conference of grace. It's a biblical thing. 
where your leader can confer it, can bestow it, can pronounce it. Right? Right now, listen carefully. Open your spirits. I confer the grace of God upon you. I decree that great grace will be your portion. Wherever you go, they're going to notice in your workplace, wow, what is, what is different about, about, about Clint in the sphere in which he functions, in the legal uh, 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 domain? They will say, oh, grace, clearly obvious, God is with him. Clearly, great grace is on him. Not so? Great grace is on him. What is true of Jesus, watch, must be true of us. When we look at Jesus, what are we doing, brethren? Please listen. Jesus was often called, by in theological circles, the pattern son. Say pattern son. In other words, his life was a pattern for every other son. Look at him. He's like the template. He's the, the blueprint of God. Copy his life. Every other son will reach the results that he did. So whatever he experienced is no different to what every other son will experience. He is God. He is God eternal. Right? Part of the Godhead, full of grace and truth. He did not just come into the earth full of grace. He demonstrated like every man would have to go through the processes of increasing in grace until he gets to the place where John looks back and says he was full of grace and truth. How did the Son of God get from just having grace upon him. Let's go to the next one. And then Luke 2.52, just 12 verses later, guys, 12 verses later, what does it say? It says, and Jesus kept what? Kept increasing in wisdom and stature and what? Favor. The word favor is charis, translated grace, and grace with God and what? Right, now, there's a whole other session. These are forthcoming attractions. If you enjoy favor and grace with God, guess what? When you engage men, they're going to see it too. Right? Who wants favor? <laughs> you know, favor will take you where your ability can't. Favor will take you where your natural qualifications can't. Hmm? Lauren, we confer favor upon you for the workplace. Favor be your portion. Men will see you and they will notice something different about this girl. Something different about this teacher. Right? Favor. They will, you know, favor will cause men to deal with you differently than others. And they say it's favor. Right? The world calls it unfair treatment. Why is she getting preference? We just say, grace is on me. Can't help it. If men like me, can't help it. <laughs> Tell you never be better like me. <laughs> because grace is on me. Right? I'm likable. Come on, confess it. I'm likable. Tell you never people like me, and they don't even know why. <laughs> you may, let me just say this, guys. When grace is present in your life, people will start to deal preferentially with you. It's just something that will happen. But what I want to focus upon, and please watch, this is interesting to me. The Greek word here for grow is oxano. Jesus grew. And in wisdom, he was strong, and grace was on him. There was very little he had to do for this to happen. He simply had to be the son. Right? 
you remember when Mary was pregnant? How did Mary get pregnant? The Spirit came, and the Bible says the Spirit overshadowed her. There was an implantation of divine seed into the womb of Mary. For nine months, the baby grew. After nine months, Jesus was born. He would grow, and by 12 years old, this is, this is, he's now about 12 years old here, when these, we read these incidences, right? Something in him grew as a matter of fact. Effortlessly, it came to the fore. There were auctions in the DNA of his spirit, giving rise to growth with very little effort on his part. I use the terms carefully, with very little effort on his part. He just had to be in the right environment and things happened with little focus or effort on his part. But there came a time in his life where he kept increasing. Now the word increasing is not the same word Oxano used here for grow. This word increasing is the next is the Greek word prokopto. Everyone say prokopto. I like what it means. It means to strike forward through repeated blows. Everyone do this. It's like you, you're hitting it all the time. I'm Prokopto, Prokopto. Whenever, whenever you think of Prokopto, just think, hey, repeated blows. What are you doing? Listen, when I, you do some research on Prokopto, the idea is cutting away forward. You want progress? One blow won't do it. Just boop. Nothing. No. I keep, what, what is this? Effort, perseverance, consistency, right? In fact, it has in it the character of human achievement. It is advancement, not because of the inevitability of its internal constitution, as suggested by the word oxano. Oxano means this natural inward inclination to grow. When it says, yes, he did grow, but now he prokoptos in grace, it literally is because of his conscious effort. The grace freely bestowed upon you at your initial salvation, brethren. For you to grow in that is going to require something of you. Let me say it differently. You did nothing to earn saving grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of works lest any man should boast. But having come into the kingdom now, there are certain dispositions that God will cause you or require of you to prokopto, to insist upon through regular, consistent observance. Keep at the thing. Keep obeying the thing. Let me give you an example. This matter, this passage. Let's go back one slide. This passage. Something happened. Between verse 40 and verse 52. That's your homework. We'll, we'll teach it later. There are certain things that transpired in the life of Jesus that caused him to grow from grace on him to him increasing in it. For one, let me give you one clue. Humility. Everyone say humility. Because between verse 40 and verse 52, the Bible says he subjected himself to Joseph for 18 years. Next time you read about him, he's 30 after this. And the heavenly father is saying, you are? That's when he's full of grace and ready to dispense it to the world. 
right? Right? And there are many other keys. I want to go to them now because of time. Right? So, please watch. Grace is both merited and unmerited. Unmerited favor of the grace of God is when you enter salvation. Having entered, though, there's much that you're going to have to do consciously as a matter of God's expectation of you. For example, humility. It says, God will resist the proud, but he will give what? Grace to the humble. That tells me, and you'll see some of these principles. In fact, all the principles, I will teach you most of them to access more grace are demonstrated in the life of, of Jesus powerfully. Right? So, he kept increasing in grace. And the grace of God became exponentialized in his life. Who is getting a renewed appreciation for the grace of God? You know, you and I, what you and I need is to procopto. To procopto. He procoptoed for the next 18 years, by the way. This verse is lingers for 18 years. Then you read at 30 he comes out. And baptized by John in the River Jordan. Our Heavenly Father speaks, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I believe it at that point, John describes him as full of grace and truth. Now, of his fullness, we receive grace for grace or grace upon grace. Let's continue. Now, next one. Just, okay, just there. Just one more. I want to talk about the primary effects of grace. The effects are many. What you're going to discover as you grow in grace, having entered the kingdom, and you know, procoptoing, you are increasing in it. The effects are going to be multiple, but broadly speaking, there will be two main ones. But I've just, I want to list it like this. Watch. The primary goal of grace is to manifest God's glory. If you claim to have received grace, what should be obvious? You should put God's glory on display for men to see. Right? So somebody does not know how to forgive somebody that hurt them. What do you do as God's son? You say you're struggling with forgiveness. Come see how I do it. Just watch my life. Here's a situation. See how I do it. When you're showing the other person how well and easily you forgive the greatest offense or the most severest of emotional wounds, what are you doing? You're putting God's character on display for men to see. I want to suggest to you, your obedience to God's principles is the way you demonstrate God's glory. Your demonstration of all He is, is proof that you carry grace. Grace, or rather the display of glory, is impossible without grace reception. Hmm? Impossible. So the goal of grace is to exhibit God's glory. But here's the thing I really want to focus on. Watch. It's to configure your identity. And nature as, God, as God's son. And then secondly, to configure your calling and specific role in life. Now, in ministry. Tell your neighbor you all have a ministry. 
Now, say this to them. You all are in full-time ministry. (laughs) Don't think of full-time as my job. No, everyone has a full-time ministry. Right? Sheldon, at your butcher context, you are God's butcher. (laughs) God put you in your workplace. Please hear this. To give him an excuse for him to pitch up in your environment. You are the contact or the interface of God in the heavens with your domain. You can be working in the most torrid of conditions, but you are God's representation. You are there to represent God again for men to see. Right? That's the goal of grace, to exhibit God's glory. Amen? So don't see full-time as a theological or spiritual thing. Everybody has got a full-time occupation to exhibit God wherever you are. Amen? Now, John 17 verse 4 says, Jesus said, I've glorified you on earth by having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. How did Jesus glorify his Father in this context? Come on, talk to me. What was Jesus' definition of glorifying God? Come on. Finishing the work he called you to do. You can stand all you want to, brethren. Lift up your hand and say, I glorify you. God says, yeah, but what about the work I call you to do? (laughs) Jesus says, I have glorified you by fulfilling your requirements for me in life. Your secular work is of the Lord. There's no distinction between the spiritual and the secular. There's no dichotomy. That's schizophrenic in the spirit. There's no bipolar in the spirit. There's one man. Okay, And I want to encourage us all. Stop being frustrated with your work. I can sense that in some of you. Stop being frustrated with your work conditions. Grace will empower you to endure even the most difficult of circumstances. In fact, the opposite is true. That when your conditions are so overbearing, such that you feel you can't make it, it's a It's the most ideal context for grace to step in and say, now let's show you how to do it. You see, because if you can on your own, it's not grace, it's you. God needs to literally reduce you and say, now you allow my grace to enter and see how you will rule this domain. I prophesy of you, all of you are meant to rule your world. Rule your world. Bruce, S-A-B, rule it. Rule it. Hallelujah. Just prophesy to the person next to you, call their, their workplace or their work domain and say, rule it. Rule medicine, rule the legal fraternity, rule your construction uh, uh, in industry. Jason, so great to see you. Rule, brother. Tell someone, rule. Patsy, rule. Yvonne, rule. There's a lovely text in, in Romans, I think, 5, that says um, that grace calls us to reign in life. Grace calls us to reign in this life. Amen? By the gift of righteousness, we can reign in in this life. So, let's continue. Okay, I've got 10 minutes. I want to wrap this up. Watch. Two primary effects of grace. I said there are multiple effects, but for me, we can summarize this in two broad strokes. Number one, grace configures my identity as God's son. Watch. Grace matures my nature and character As God's son. Sonship is impossible without grace. 
For me, grace defines sonship. If you say you are son of God, you must be laden with grace. Right? Say identity. Identity. You see, Jesus, the grace was on him, Oxano. And it says he procopted, he increased in grace. From the age of 12 to 18. At 30, he rises. And what does the heavenly father say? You are my? What configured? He had not done one work yet. Nothing performed. He wasn't fixated upon doing anything. He focused on just being. Tell your neighbor, just be. You know, before grace empowers your work, here is the order of grace's priority. Grace will first focus on shaping you before it attempts to use you. Grace's initial focus is on, I'm going to make you the person that can accurately represent God fully. Is it your desire to represent God fully? Come on, let me see you. Yes? For that to happen, you need to be son. To be son, God says, my grace, initial, my, the initial focus of my grace over your life will be the development of your sonship identity in me. Don't even strive to do anything. Not even plan to do anything. Just focus on your maturation in me. Seek to be before you attempt to do. Seek to be before you attempt to do. Because if you are, or let me just say differently, if you attempt to do, without establishing your identity, you will always work to establish an identity. And you will gain an impression about yourself based on what you do, not who you are in Christ. And you will find yourself forever being performance-oriented. And I get my value, my worth, by how well I preached. Right? Or how well I did. No, brethren, you are God's son. Tell me you're God's son. In fact, tell them like this, you are God's son without doing anything. Right? And nothing you can do to prove it. Grace wants to renature you, establish who you are in Christ. Yes, God has a will. Now, that's why I say two primary effects of grace. The first one is an establishment of who you are. Secondly, quickly look, some time. Secondly, watch. Grace determines, I like this. You know, I was studying this uh, in the week, and I blew my mind. And the Lord gave me this phrase, grace, watch, determines, authorizes, and empowers my function relative to my specific role. Just take this away for a moment, just up to here. You can stop there, one more. Read it with me, come on. Grace determines, authorizes, and empowers my function relative to my specific role doesn't just make me who I am. But once I am made, watch brethren, once I am made, what comes is a determination from the heavens. There's a direction, a determination that grace does. It will now start to carve out to me a specific function in the kingdom and in life. Something I need to do to effect God's will for my life. There is an assignment unique to you. A role that you must do personally and privately that no one else can do your role or your part in the kingdom. Grace will come in. Firstly, grace will determine that, not you. Who was Paul? Come on, what was he by, by calling? An apostle. 
Who was he an apostle to? Jews or Greeks? Or Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles, not Jews. Huh? Was he a trained Jew? Did he go to the best Jewish school? Did he, did he stand under the best known Jewish rabbi of the day? Gamaliel. In his own words, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrew. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. As touching the law, I'm blameless. I would think if I were God, take that man who knows Jewish history backwards and forwards, well astute in, in Jewish tradition and the law of Moses. Take him and make him an apostle to the Jews. Take the unlearned, uncouth, untrained Peterman, Peter, fisherman <laughs> from down the road and put him with the barbarian Gentiles. God says, no, 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 I take Peter. You be an apostle to these educated Jews. You, Paul, with all your learning, come and speak to these barbaric Gentiles. What was God proving? Not about what you equipped to do by natural standards. If you access my grace, my grace will determine your role and function. Hmm? So get away, brethren. I want to declare over you, I, I, I banish the thought of you saying to yourself, I'm not fit enough. I'm not able. I'm less qualified. Can't do, can't do. You see, God has to bring you to that place usually for His grace to not come in and say, but by my grace, I will cause you to operate efficiently in areas you think you are ineligible or disqualified. Hmm? God wants to encourage somebody this morning. Tell you never you are well qualified by grace. Huh? Usually, myself, I've tested this it's usually when I'm at a loss for words. I also speak in some context and I can't even prepare well. I say, God, no, why me? Why now? Why this? And usually it's only as you walk up, God says, watch my grace. <laughs> it's not about your Get your mind, your training, your preparation out of the way. You access my grace, see how the thing will flow. Hmm? Two primary effects of grace. Configure your identity as a son. Secondly, it will determine, oh, by the way, let me say this. It authorizes or, or, or gives you, yeah, authorizes, it not only determines, but it, it gives you permittance, permission, authorization to do. Not so? You can be equipped to do something, but yet not authorized. Grace will authorize you. Grace both shapes your identity and sanctions your purpose. In fact, to put it nicely, grace will shape your person and sanction your purpose. It will authorize you. And then you can say, but other people will say, but hey, bro, how are you operating like this? We never saw you in this domain before. When we view you, we don't see you like this. And you say, if they ask you, who authorized this? <laughs> say, my sanction came from the presence of God's grace in me. Nothing more, nothing less than the grace. Then... Lastly, it em, so you never empower. The word empower is to energize. You'll find yourself doing things not by your own human strength, but by the grace of God. Let's go. Grace configures my specific calling in the unique role that God has for me in his kingdom. And secondly, grace determines and directs my efforts in working for God. It authorizes my function. It empowers and energizes my efforts in working for God. Jesus, grace shaped him, grace sanctioned him, grace sent him. Grace shaped him, grace on him, he increased in grace, full of grace, 
Watch at 30. The father says, you are my son. Paraphrasing, full of grace and truth. Now start doing the work. You don't start doing the work until your identity as a son is established in grace. In fact, listen carefully. Was Jesus not so confident every time he worked? What did he say? I don't work. <laughs> not me. I'm doing it, but not me. He says, my father works. Here the two I work. The works I do are not mine. They are mine. When you enter this economy, everything you do will be a reflection of the grace of your heavenly father. Grace will sanction you, and grace will authorize your sending. Amen. One last example. Five minutes. We look at the life of Paul. I think, more than anybody in the scriptures, these truths can be most powerfully demonstrated in the life of Jesus and Paul. Jesus first, yes, but Paul second. This verse you must memorize. Are you memorizing your grace verses? Hey? 20 at least, I said to you. Here's a good one. Paul says this, Galatians 1.15. But God, you know, but cancels everything before. Say it, but God. <laughs> Thank God for God's working on this. But God, who set me apart even from my mother's womb, called me through his, was pleased to do what? What was the goal of grace? Called me through his grace, was pleased to do what? To reveal his son? Yeah, the goal of grace is the revelation of the son in Paul. To establish Paul's identity as a son. Your identity as a son is established by the maturing of the Son of God within your spirit. Comes to the fore. That's the goal of grace. But he says further, I like this because it succinctly captures the two streams we are talking about. Established identity, son in me. Everyone say son in me. Son in me. Say it louder, son in me. Say it again, son in me. Tell them I am a son of God. Say it louder, I am a son of God. That God is my father. So, listen, once and at Jesus, at his baptism, the Father said, you're my son. So, identity is set. Once identity is set, then you can do this so that I might preach him. That is specific role and function in the kingdom. I want to preach him among the Gentiles. I will never seek to preach him among the Gentiles until he is first fully formed in me. Grace will shape me and grace will send me. But now another scripture that succinctly captures this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10. This is my absolute great scripture. You have a favorite scripture for every theme in the Bible, don't you? You you ask me, Randolph, you know grace so well. If you want to cut it down to one single verse on grace you really want to hold on to, it will probably be this one. Well, there are many powerful great scriptures. I like this one. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. I am the least of the apostles. I am not fit to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But, but cancels verse 9. I'm going to say it again. But cancels everything I've just said. Right? But, tell your neighbor, you've got a big but. <laughs> we all have a but in our lives. We all messed up. We all failed. Is there anybody here that's perfect? Miss your hand. We can pray for you. <laughs> Do you think you're perfect? No, we all messed up, brethren. We all can make statements like Paul. Hey, I messed up. 
In fact, now I feel this mission. I feel this calling as an apostle. I feel ineligible, disqualified to function there because I acted in contradiction to that by killing Christians. I persecuted the church. But, but, just hold on a moment. But, I am what I am by the grace of God. His grace toward me did not prove in vain. But I worked or I labored. More than all of them. Who's all of them? All the 12 apostles that walked with Jesus for 12, for three and a half years. I worked harder than them, Paul is saying. But he quickly qualifies, not me. Wasn't me working. It was nothing more than a reflection of the grace of God with me. That you people saw as works. And if you compared my works to the other apostles, I far outranked them. But I'm not boasting. All I'm bringing attention to is Paul is saying, if you can tap into the grace resource that you have, even your work will be effective. People will marvel at you and say, wow, how does he, she accomplish so much? And you can say to them, it's not me. I am just tapping into an energy, an empowerment, an enablement, a God resource in me called his grace. His grace in me did not prove in vain. Grace shapes you, your identity, configures who you are in Christ, determines, sanctions, and empowers your destiny. I want to encourage you, brethren, focus on grace's capacity to first make you, then God's desire to use you in what he has already established in terms of who you are. Never seek to work outside of an establishment of who you are in Christ. Do you know? Anyone read the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? You read it some stage? Isn't Jesus like the coolest dude on the planet? It's like he wakes up. It's like there are death threats. There are questions designed to trap him every day. There's hatred by Pharisees. There's plans of assassination in his life. This guy is like the coolest dude around. He just wakes up, does his father's business. They try to kill him. He slips through the crowd. No effort, no problem. Eh? Full of grace. Why? You know, to Pilate, he even said, when Pilate says, don't you know I have authority over you to order your death? He simply responds, you've got no authority over me except my father gives you. <laughs> Tell your neighbor you're your father's son. <laughs> Tell your neighbor live coolly. Live coolly. And I tell him this, live gracefully. <laughs> Grace will give you confidence. Even when God called you to do something, don't say, please, brethren, I don't want to hear the words I can't anymore. I'm not ready, I'm not able. You can say that, but please say but. But, but, by the grace of God, by grace alone, I'll make it. By grace alone, I will do it. Right? I want to prophesy over you. Andy and Lisa, you're going to be called upon to do something very specific in the workplace. Something for which you will feel ineligible, disqualified, not trained for. At that moment, the grace of God will kick in and qualify you to function. Note this day. It will be not by might, not by power, says the Lord, but by my spirit. Grace content will grow exponentially in you. And you're going to find yourselves leading a domain which others in your, in your world will look jealously upon you and say, but why them, why now? But God says, it will be a reflection of my favor. 
Men will note it and men will regard it. But the Lord says, do not shrink back at it. For in the moment you feel least qualified, God says, I have qualified you already. I have made you to be all that you have, are going to be in me. It's already settled. It's already done. That's for all of you. Tell your neighbor, you're qualified. Paul says, I killed Christians in my past life. I can't do this apostolic work. But where my history disqualified me, grace has qualified me. When you look after me after my history, I have crosses next to my name galore. Cross, cross, cross. Disqualified, disqualified. You know, I'm feeling so empowered today, brethren, not because it's my birthday, but because of grace. <laughs> Tell you never grace. I want to confirm the same, the same uh, disposition of confidence in you. Tell someone next to you. Be serious. Say where your history disqualified you. Grace now qualifies you. Hallelujah. Do the work boldly. Go forth confidently. Go in the power of the grace of God. Growing it, appreciate it in the name of the Lord. Lift up your hands. May the grace of God be your portion. Grace upon grace be your portion. Every family here, every couple, every husband, every wife, I confer upon you the grace, the loving grace of our Heavenly Father. He comes now to assure you, you are His Son. There's an assurance and a solidity of sonship. Don't, lo- don't let no devil disqualify your sonship. You are God's child. You are God's son. God is your, your father. God says to you, I have qualified you where your past behavior has disqualified you. Today, I hear the Lord saying, is the reckoning of the Lord. Today, my child. Today, my son. Today, my daughter. I from the heavens render you eligible to approach me to take hold of your estate of your inheritance in me it's your portion it's your right it's your preserve it will not be by might nor by power but by my spirit declares the lord it's an estate you must remain in having come in i want to exhort you like barnabas and paul did the church at antioch remain true to the lord And continue in the grace of God. Cut away forward through your diligence. Cut away forward. Come to the place of perfection and maturation in me. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.